Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, Associate Editor of Middle Market Growth Magazine, and I'm here with the magazine's Editor-in-Chief, Deborah Cohen. Deb, who'd you talk to for the podcast this week? Katie, I spoke with Dan Sustar. He's founder and CEO of Trademark Global, and they are an interesting mid-sized company out of Lorain, Ohio, that serves the online retail space. They were profiled in our January-February issue of the magazine, and what they do is fulfillment and product development in areas such as home and garden and domestics for big online re- retailers like Amazon and Wayfair. Um, In effect, they helped to create this concept known as the endless aisle. Many of our listeners have probably ordered products that Trademark has been involved with in some way, but the name might also be familiar from our January cover profile of Trademark Global, where we explored the business uh, in our magazine. So for those of you who haven't read the piece yet, recommend um, going and checking that out after listening to the interview. Uh, Dan talks a lot about uh, what the business is doing currently, but the cover profile features uh, a lot of his origin story, which is pretty interesting and uh, involves gambling. Yeah, gambling and, and poker chips and eBay. Absolutely, yeah. So recommend checking that out. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. Here is Deb speaking with Dan Sustar. My guest is Dan Sustar, founder and CEO of Trademark Global. Thanks for joining me on this Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be here, Deb. Thanks for the opportunity. So, Dan, give us a brief overview of the company and who your customers are. A brief overview of what Trademark Global does. I would say that we're a vertically integrated company for e-commerce. And what I mean by a vertically integrated company, we take, we develop product all the way from China, bring it all the way to the States, handle the fulfillment, find sell the product within the each one of our customers and fulfill that product to the end user. And when you think about being vertically integrated, usually those different tasks are broken up by services that people will use. So a, a manufacturer might use a fulfillment company or a, um, a developer might use a manufacturer in, in, in uh, China to make the product and then they would bring that to the United States. So it's we took all that chopped up mm-hmm. different services and we put them all under one roof. Who are your biggest customers? Yeah, well, the, I guess if you were to look at the internet retailers, top 100, you could go right down the list and predict that, but Amazon, Walmart, Staples, Macy's, QVC, Home Depot, Best Buy, Office Depot, Wayfair, Kohl's, Sears, Target, Newegg, wow. and I'm just going right down the list. Yeah. Every one of them is our customer. So you, you talked about some of the services. So you, you do everything from fulfillment to product development in some cases. Like, can you, can you tell us like what, what the path of a, of a product would be from the point that a customer clicks on their screen through one of those retailers that you just mentioned to, um, to getting the, like where, what your role is, when it starts and, and how you fulfill the order? Sure. I, I think it's a little bit important to fig, to start before that and okay. to start to talk about how we ever got to this point and then where our how our services got to where they are today. Okay. Um, as you as you uh, probably know, we we started out selling on eBay yes. and 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 eBay is a very much of a retail type in, environment. 
you go find some product, you put it on eBay, everybody kind of understands what that is. When you buy it, you're buying from the seller, you have a relationship with the seller on eBay, and eBay just happens to be a platform. Well, we, we got very good at that. We got so good at that, we were moving 10 or 12,000 units a day. Wow. Uh, shipping that many units in, in that type of platform, in that type of environment. So we got really good at the fulfillment part of business mm-hmm. back in 2003, 2004, 2005. And my background is very much an engineer, so right. we're trying to figure out the fulfillment side of business. The vision, we knew that the industry it was very immature at that point, and the vision, when you're looking forward, you say, where is, the, where is this industry going to go? And we knew the industry was going to follow uh, where, where the Ebays are going to become uh, in the background over time, and the product whoever owned the product or had a product was going to be king. You can obviously see that in the bricks and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. When you walk in, you see, you see Dyson vacuums, and then the, the no-name back vacuums are in the back. So you had to have some kind of product development, and we saw that back in about as early as 2006, 2007, but we were already experts at the fulfillment side of things to the end customer, uh, end user. Mm-hmm. So we knew that we had to develop products. So we developed products, and we'll get into that a little bit more, and developing brands. Sure. Um, and the customer base, back in 2004 and 2005, the early people to the market were Overstock and Target. Right. Overstock.com and Target.com. So we knew that there was going to be some of the bigger players coming to the table, and we knew that we, at that point Amazon was just fooling around it with, some, mm-hmm. with things other than books. And Walmart was still not involved in e-commerce, but we knew that things like that were going to happen, and our customer base was going to change quite rapidly. So we, we got products. We knew that we take those products that we have, and we call them brands. They're, they're, they're developed, very developed brands that we take to, mm-hmm. the, to the market when we walk into a place like, and I'm going to go through an example of how something gets to a customer. When we okay. walk through and we talk to somebody at Target.com, for instance. We are, we are presenting a product that we have in our warehouse that we've developed for multiple channels, multiple sales channels, and we say to the, um, an e-commerce manager at Target, which in the old world you would call a buyer, yeah, in the new right. e- e-commerce world you call that an account manager or a product manager, mm-hmm. and, and our account manager here, who in the old world you would call a salesperson, right. says, says to Target, here's a product to put on your website. We are willing to sell it to you for X, and then Target will sell it for X plus. Okay. They'll make their margin. Where does the customer come into all of this? The customer then will see that product on Target. They'll place that order for that, for that, uh, for that product, and we'll just use Lavish Home Towels as an example. Okay. That's one of our brands. So they bought some lavish home towels. That order then electronically transmits to Trademark from Target, and that, that you would call a purchase order. That purchase order gets acknowledged by us electronically, and we ship that out of our warehouse, I would say, always within 24 hours, but sometimes it could be as fast as an hour or two hours. Wow. We then yeah. transmit that tracking number back to the back to target mm-hmm. who then transmits it to the customer when the customer receives the package 
they open it up, it has target information in it. They don't even really know that Trademark Global exists. That's amazing. They and yes. they don't and and Target wants it to be that way, right? Well, I think Target owns the customer, yeah. and they and we are a service to Target. Right. Um, so I guess yes, they absolutely want it to be that way. It, it makes them. Uh, allows them to offer millions of products on their website. Mm -hmm. And I'm, we're using Target as an example, but the example is the same no matter which customer we're talking about. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's almost the same depending on the customer. But yeah, well, let's say the, the philosophy is the same. And this is how we get to this concept known as the endless aisle, right? And, um, uh, and, and so right. you're one of probably, I don't know how many um, companies that would play in this area that would help Target achieve that goal. But I know that like, for instance, your categories are, as you mentioned, towels and other domestics and sporting goods and lawn and garden. But then I, I imagine that they must have countless others that can help them, you know, with uh, the food and the pet and, you know, all of the, the myriad categories that they have that they're offering up to the customer. Yeah, I think that's the challenge with many of the retailers mm -hmm. is if they don't build an infrastructure to be able to handle thousands of vendors, it's right. hard for them to fill out all those offerings. And many customers or m many vendors like us, if they don't have a large enough uh, vertical to service a customer, they won't put the uh, time or effort into e-commerce right. uh, like they would for bricks and mortar. E-commerce still only represents in the teens, less than the teens as far as the n number of dollars that are generated from all of, e of, all of commerce, mm -hmm. of all retail commerce. So therefore, if you are producing, let's say, a vacuum cleaner and you're, and you're, you're producing that and you say, I'm only going to sell on e-commerce, you, you better really have a great infrastructure to service, let's say, Target. So Target really has a limited number of well, has had a limited mm -hmm. number of vendors right. that would service them in, in the manner that we service them because of the scalability of having to enter. Now, things are changing rapidly right now because people are recognizing that their bricks and mortar side of business is shrinking and they have to get into e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it keeps shifting in that direction. So the things that I'm talking about, many people are late to the table therefore trying to catch it yeah. and there's a certain way to go about that so i think trademark global has addressed because we came from a fulfillment side and many product side of business we we became a fulfillment company first and a developer of product second we were able to address because our infrastructure was was pretty vast we were mm -hmm. able to address this endless aisle technique um and, and i think uh if you go out there and look at many of our competitors it's really difficult to accomplish in the reverse order, having a product first and then offering a vast mm -hmm. number of products second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's where we came from. Are, you, know, you said you're seeing uh, like more uh, retailers get into this. Are, are you seeing more midsize um, retailers and not just the big box um, giants or the big names in online uh, commerce? Well, we have a, a saying, at least in our in our company here, is that we only really service the top 100 retailers. Okay. And 
it's very hard for any of the other retailers to break into these top 100. We might find some notables that might we think that are up and comers, uh, but in general, the top 100 retailers represent, and I'm going to throw out a number there, I'll say it's greater than 80% of all e-commerce. Mm, okay. Okay. It might be 83, it might be 81, but yeah. it's, it's greater than 80% of all e-commerce is represented by the top 100 uh, internet retailers. So it's, it's really hard to put a lot of energy into a smaller company that it may yeah. try to break in. Um, so okay. I would say, no, there's not too many. If I were to mention a couple that are, that are making headway, um, CVS is making headway, Petco, okay. um, Evine, Pier 1 Imports, they yeah. all seem to be climbing to get in there right now. Right. Many of them were late to the, late to mm -hmm. the, uh, to the game, mm -hmm. and so now, now they're really starting to put some energies in that area. Give people a sense of the scope of your operation. You you are in a former Ford Motor Company plant in Lorain, Ohio, correct? Mm -hmm. That's what, correct. Yes. What talk about how large that is and like how many people it takes to to keep this train sure. running? I can say we moved into this facility of 150,000 square feet, but the facility when I moved into here was about 3 million square feet, of which okay. we occupied 150,000 square feet. And that was in 2008. Uh, at that time, we had about 34 employees. Uh, today, we are occupying about 750,000 square feet, and we are employing to approximately 250 employees wow. all the way from Shanghai to Reno, Nevada to Lorain, Ohio. So, That's and, amazing. And with, yeah, it, it's grown pretty rapidly. We have had this year, we, we acquired three companies that also put, I'll say, pins into place. So we have a, a company in Michigan right now that is does the same thing we do, but it was a bolt-on mm -hmm. type of acquisition for us that added a few more product lines. Another, and two other companies, one of them we folded right into our operations, so, and one of them is actually located in Las Vegas, Nevada, where they're operating, they're operating out of there, and that'll get folded into our operation here soon. So I, I, we're, we're becoming more and more global, mm -hmm. uh, just with the acquisitions and the office that we have in China, and probably opening a second office soon for sourcing. What geographies do you, uh, do you serve? Is it primarily the United States, or... Um Canada too or yeah I would say right now we're very we're very concentrated on the United States and it is something that uh, is evolving over time you're seeing Amazon is you is really leading the charge uh, with going into Canada and going into Mexico mm -hmm. uh, recently Australia toying with India so as their systems become more uh, stronger I said we, we would probably participate in those uh, initiatives. Because we're not a retailer, we really don't choose where things are actually sold. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as far as a distributor, there's, there's always strategic talks of opening up distribution warehouses in China and or the European markets. But uh, at, at this point in time, uh, there are talks and, the, you know, the strategy will, will – uh, push us in that direction if the market dictates it. And r right now, it looks like the market may dictate it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure everyone else in our 
in our shoes kind of knows that they're talking the same thing right now. Okay. So consumer demand just seems to be, you know, for convenience is just amping up. I mean, when you look at services like um, grocery delivery and wine delivery and you have Uber Eats and, you know, people just don't Mm want to go out (laughs) and shop. They want it to come to them and they want it to come to them fairly quickly. And, you know, and we read about Amazon experimenting with drones. Um, how, How is consumer demand for convenience changing the way you guys do business? Well, I mean, when we first started selling, a customer typically would wait three to five days and more to get their product. Mm -hmm. And that's back in 2002. I think it was very early on people recognized that if you could get a product to a customer in two days, you would sell more. So people started figuring out a way to get things quicker. Right. Well, quick Quicker, faster, and cheaper is always the model for success. And, you know, who does it better right now than Amazon? And Amazon is our number one customer. Mm-hmm. So how is it, it, the industry changed, but how we do business really didn't change that much. We built an infrastructure to be faster, cheaper, and better than, than our competitor just mm-hmm. by building that infrastructure early in, in the company's history. Uh, leveraging that infrastructure allowed us to grow as fast as we did. How how difficult is it to um, to meet that demand for um, for speed? I mean, do you have to be? Are, are, do you have certain standards for your um, shippers that you rely on? Um, I, I take it you you don't have your own fleet. You'd have to re- rely on third party um, folks to do right. that. So we are dictated by our customers on how we ship and how fast we need to ship. Right. We'll call that shipping uh, an SLA. It's a service level agreement we have with each customer. Okay. Typically, that tells us that we have to ship a product within 24 hours of mm-hmm. when it is, when the order is placed with us. And that's dictated by our customer, who happens to be the retailer. Uh, because we're not the retailer, we're servicing the retailers. That being said, that has changed from uh, 48 hours to 24 hours, probably in the last three years, where that's the norm. Our systems really, that's not a big burden on our systems. We've built our systems to be able to handle that pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll fluctuate uh, manpower through the busy season. So on the everyday system, I think we're shipping about – eight to ten thousand packages or eight to ten thousand orders a day wow and christmas time might peak out at the 40 to 45 to fifty thousand orders a day wow that's a lot yeah yeah Yeah. and that has to be done in 24 hours from Mm. the time that the order actually arrives so do you i i imagine you must use a lot of contract labor um for your peak peak seasons Peak season is, I guess, if you say contract labor, I would say temporary agencies. Yeah. Is that is that, yes. Yeah, temporary agencies might represent thirty percent of the workforce during during Christmas, mm-hmm. the Christmas holiday. Okay. Um, we do operate six days a week, um, where Saturdays are off uh, during the normal normal times. This last Christmas, we actually only operate. We only actually ran two Saturdays, and we were pretty efficient this past huh. year. Okay. So. Um, things things are getting a little bit better at trademark, I guess. So, what trends are you seeing, Dan? In terms of what what do you see taking place in the next 
three to five years in in you mean as far as the industry goes yeah just overall i mean um well i think when people ask that question i call it vision or trends uh what is the vision for the industry in the next three to five years or even further out because we we have to look further out than that and i say we have to look out where 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 the industry is going in 10 years which is really takes a lot of uh deep thought but three to five years you're already seeing what's going on you're seeing flash sale companies getting Hmm. either going out of business or they're getting uh they're getting bought out by your classic retailers and some of them that come to mind are uh, the ones that either fail where guilt guilt group got bought by somebody and uh more um woot got bought by amazon and so on and so forth and you know, the flash sale side of business, that was a trend where we saw coming five years ago, we knew it was going to happen, uh, that most of those companies were going to disappear. Now, where are we going forward from that? Well, let's take a look at the the bricks and mortar e-commerce or bricks and mortar uh, business 50 years ago. And there were many retailers that were out there and they could either consolidated or the strong survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened there. That's going to happen here as well. Uh, you're already seeing some of them biting the dust. I mean, Toys R Us is not surviving yeah. at the e-commerce level. Sears is not surviving right now, even at the e-commerce level. I think you're going to see some of the some future plays coming on as far as like Overstock.com, possibly teaming up with somebody soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Th- I think you're going to see consolidation as far as who the retailers are. The other thing you're going to see is companies like ours have enjoyed a, a, a bonanza because of, we'll call it, the fad of shopping on e-commerce. And mm-hmm. once it becomes a mature industry, we're going to have quite a bit of um, business market or a margin compression because it will everything will start to stabilize. That's more of a 10-year you know, a five to 10 year vision. Okay. Um, but right now, uh, we've coined the phrase, maybe five years ago, we coined the phrase that it's like the wild, wild west. Everybody's yeah. making up the rules and going as they doing whatever yeah. they want as they go along. But that is already solidifying itself to some degree. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have at least 10 or 15 more years before we even start to feel uh, like e commerce is the industry. Uh, similar to like bricks and mortar is the industry. You, we won't be talking about drones. Yeah. Drones will be a thing that we automatically just see flying around like they always have been. And that's, that's like anything else. And if you can see that vision 10 years down the road, um, you can look back and say, I remember when <laughs> eBay was the largest place to buy something. And yeah. think about that. And eBay might not even be around. Well, I won't say that. eBay yeah. might be one of the smaller companies, and they were the only company when we first started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, th- you know, one thing I'd like to add is sure. as, far as, uh, the, as far as what Trademark Global actually does for a, a living, what we actually do for a living is something that we have not seen duplicated on any other uh, in any other platform in the United States, many times when we uh, when we tried to when people ask who our competitors are, we we say we can't really find a competitor that is selling in all the different channels that we sell and selling all the different categories we sell, and that's why, you know, when you see the endless aisle type of mm-hmm. um, uh, strategy that we're in, that puts us in 
uh, so many different categories of product. And it, it, it's just unimaginable that we can actually carry all these different levels of product under one roof. And we're not, we're not out drop shipping these products from somebody else. These are our products and our brands and our products that we developed over time. They, when we take a product from uh, development and we put it online, it hits every channel, every sales channel that we have, and it insta- instantly becomes a name brand uh, within, our, within our world. So we own those brands, hmm. and we own the brands in like tools, lawn and garden fishing, yeah. Pet supplies. I mean, I think you've seen them all. So I think, uh, you know, knowing that we're not a fulfillment house, that we are one complete package is kind of like what um, the message I wanted to get across, that we build brands and we own our products and we deliver to the consumer through the retailers. Okay. That's, um, okay. yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for um, for taking the time to uh, to do this podcast with us. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Subscribe to the show in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated it, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies, including our January cover story about Trademark Global.